the ECB is still a long way from normalizing monetary policy. Banking profitability remains very depressed. How many banks are beginning to earn their cost of capital in Europe? There are still concerns about asset quality in certain areas. And at the same time, banks are facing fresh challenges associated notably with new technologies. Just standing back for a second, let me just pick out a couple of themes we might talk about later on in this session. First of all, the past decade has left the EU, and I think particularly the Eurozone, with a banking sector that's quite a bit less integrated now than it was a decade ago. Remember that the immediate response to the global crisis was a marked reduction in cross-border banking. All international banks, American as well as European, retreated to their home markets, inflicting quite a lot of pain in many host countries as they did so. But this retrenchment was most pronounced and certainly most persistent on the part of EU and especially, I think, Euro-based banks. Today, the cross-border bank claims of Euro-based banks, especially vis-a-vis -vis counterparties elsewhere in the Euro area, are still well below pre-crisis levels. And at the same time, cross-border mergers and acquisitions in the EU banking sector, which had already fallen quite away from the turn of the millennium, have remained at low levels since the crisis. So this prompts several questions which we might try and discuss. First of all, is this retreat from cross-border banking likely to prove a temporary phenomenon? How far does it reflect sour memories and maybe regulatory and supervisory responses to the crisis? Or are there some more fundamental differences in banking markets across Europe that are going to continue to inhibit integration? And secondly, how much should we care about this? I mean, surely we're better off without the kind of frenetic cross-border interbank activity that contributed materially to the banking crisis. Surely. On the other hand, soundly-based cross-border banking should have some significant benefits, both for consumers in terms of increased competition and for banks in the forms of more risk diversification and conceivably improved banking profitability. I think Mario Draghi is on record as saying there can only be a single money if there's a single banking system. Is he right? Should the ECB now be doing more to promote healthy financial integration within the euro area? And crucially, do we yet have sufficiently robust institutions and crisis management capabilities to oversee and backstop, if necessary, a more integrated banking system? These are quite big questions, and I hope we'll be able to unpick them a bit in the session that follows. Finally, however, many features, certainly of continental European financial landscape, hasn't really changed much since the crisis. For example, the financial system remains dominated by banks, corporates are heavily reliant on debt rather than equity finance, venture capital, is pretty thin on the ground as far as European startups are concerned. I mean, these are long-standing concerns and criticisms, but the financial crisis 
um, and indeed, more latterly, Brexit, I think have made people more concerned to actually do something about it. Hence the, uh, the fact that Capital Markets Union has been a priority of the current commission. How far they've actually got with the, what is it, 18 uh, policy measures that they uh, uh, laid out, I, I don't know how far they'll get before this commission uh, uh, packs up its tent. And I know Bruegel has had some fairly clear ideas about what the right, the, the crucial things are to get right if we're ever to make any serious progress in this area. Anyhow, there's plenty to talk about, and that's frankly enough for me to get us going. We're fortunate to have two excellent panellists with us today with deep experience and very different perspectives on these issues to help us sort through uh, uh, the problems that uh, your financial sector is going to face. There on my right, Joanne Kellerman, uh, who's a founder member of the Single Resolution Board and until January, a, man a member of the Dutch Central Bank. Um, and on my left, Jean-Pierre Moustier, who's currently Chief Executive of Unicredit. Um, I think, Joanne, you're going to kick off. We're going to talk, make short presentations uh, uh, to start off with, then we'll try and get a conversation going, and then hopefully there'll be time to open it up from questions from what looks like a pretty well-informed audience, uh, judging by the uh, few faces I recognise around the, uh, the room. So, Joanne. Thank you very much, Rachel. Um, so I'll kick off. And um, um, just um, a couple of remarks. Um, and um, before looking to the future, like you, um, just a minute um, to ponder the past. Um, because less than uh, two weeks' time, it will be 10 years ago that Lehman Brothers collapsed. And um, I think we all have our private Lehman moments and Lehman memories. Um, mine was not a Lehman moment, but it was a Fortis moment. Fortis was uh, what we now would call a cross-border bank, being a significant institution in Belgium, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, quite significant in France too. And... Um, Ten days after Lehman fell, Fortis, uh, that was severely weakened by paying for its share in ABN Ambro Bank, Fortis started to fall as well. So in those days, I joined the Minister of Finance and the Governor of the Central Bank when they left for Brussels on the 27th of September 2008 for what would be the first of two Fortis weekends, uh, actually. Um, but... Um, uh, I've been trying to remember what were the tools that we had at that time. And basically there was nothing. Uh, for cross-border conglomerates such as Fortis, there was no international institutional framework to speak of. And of course there were Basel capital requirements in place, um, but there was no uniform interpretation of these rules, not even in the Benelux, uh, let alone in the EU. Uh, there were virtually no liquidity requirements, uh, and so there was hardly any up-to-date information on liquidity. Uh, but most of all, there was no preparedness on how to act in a crisis, and there was no cross-border institutional framework. Central banks knew how to extend emergency liquidity, um, but in terms of capital 
support. The only option was state aid. Uh, and, um, well, fast, moving fast forward, that le this led to public outrage because ultimately it was the profit that was privatized but the risks that was nationalized. And we're still paying the political price uh, for those events. So after the crisis, um, we started to make changes. And uh, here in Brussels, uh, we've worked very hard. Uh, I just... A, a quick reminder, I won't go into detail of some of the things that were achieved in the last 10 years. First of all, the institutional framework, as you mentioned rightly, Rachel. Um, there's the banking union now with the SSM, uh, the ECB in his role as supervisor. There's the single resolution mechanism. There's the single rule book guarded by the ESAs. Uh, EBA, EOPA, and ESMA, which can now be applied in a uniform way, at least across the banking union, uh, supported by these new institutions. Uh, we have many more buffers, capital buffers, liquidity buffers. They've improved both in terms of quantity and in terms of quality. And uh, we have a totally new paradigm for action in crisis under the BRD. Uh, we moved from bailout to bail-in to put it shortly. Uh, we also added institutionalized crisis management by independent resolution authorities and in the banking union that is the single resolution board. And perhaps most importantly, we have crisis preparedness by banks. All major banks have resolution plans and the banks in the EU are well underway um, to meet their MREL requirements. So if need be, the bill into can be applied. Now the question is, of course, 10 years on, are we there? Uh, and um, I think, um, uh, unfortunately, we cannot say foolhardily, yes, we're there, it's all fine, hunky-dory. There's still a wish list. Um, an important item on the wish list is, of course, the EU deposit insurance system, EDIS, that is dearly needed to complete the banking union. Um, as you rightly mentioned, Rachel, we need a backstop for the single resolution fund, which is to be provided by the ESM. Uh, there seems to be a consensus about that, but we have yet to see the signatures. And in guarantees, signatures always seem rather important. <laughs> um, and we have to tackle a couple of new things too. For instance, rules on how much sovereign debt banks can own. Um, and finally, we need a better alignment of state aid rules, resolution rules, and national bankruptcy regimes to make the interplay a lot smoother. Uh, and of course, there's numerous bigger and smaller things that we need to tackle, uh, both with the BRD revision and with the uh, CRD revisions. Um, but today we'll discuss, amongst other things, profitability of banks uh, and look at the banking landscape in the EU uh, and ask ourselves how can the EU best ensure a healthy and a vibrant banking sector. And um, I want to add a couple of new elements to that discussion because I believe that the best way uh, for banks to serve the public and to reap the full benefits of the common market is when we truly finalize the level playing field in the EU, not only for prudential requirements and for resolution planning, but also beyond that. Well, what do I have in mind? My focus would mainly be on integrity and reputation and trust. Uh, 
Um, and the reason why is that I believe that banks, traditional banks, can only keep their edge, their competitive edge against fintech and blockchain and crowdfunding uh, by reinventing their historic role as trusted advisors and critical friends of their customers. Trust will remain a critical factor for the future and all banks in the banking union must be trustworthy beyond doubt. The policing of these risks must be a matter of the entire Eurozone to create a true level playing field because reputational issues affecting one bank in one member state will undermine the credibility and reliability of banks in other member states. And in particular, I think of the following. Um, the events around the Latvian bank um, have shown that we do not have yet a level playing field for fighting money laundering and terrorist financing. And I firmly believe that those risks will only be growing. We have no banking union authority policing those risks, and we have not managed to create a common Eurozone minimum level of enforcement. And now that we don't have that common level, what will happen? Because we have new countries in the waiting room to exceed the Euro. The next in line is Bulgaria. Another area of concern that I just want to mention is good governance. We now have centralized fit and proper testing, but what is good is fit and proper testing in a centralized way if the appointment of board members is still uh, determined on political affiliation. Um, and then technology. We'll no doubt talk about technology later today. today. I think uh, AI is a huge opportunity for banks and insurers. Um, but what we need to do is monitor the moral issues that entail when we use algorithms. Integrity, morality, cannot be left to the machines. Customers need to know that not just their money, but also their data is safe and is used in a fair way and so that they are treated in a fair way. And when thinking about the future, we also need to think about the truly long term. And that's my final point. I wanted to mention sustainability, which needs to be an intrinsic part of the business model of the financial sector and the financial markets, whether we like it or whether we don't like it. Personally, I do like it. Uh, I do like the idea. I believe it is one of the most powerful areas where banks can visibly make a difference for society. But more importantly, I firmly believe that the next generation of banks' customers will simply walk away from traditional banking if they do not feel that their voice is heard and their ideas are reflected. So, to sum up, I know you're... <laughs> <laughs> you want me to sum up. No, we don't that, we're not quite entirely there yet. Um, banks must keep working at regaining the trust of the public. And to do so, technology, but also sustainability, create opportunities and not threats. Um, and finally, we do not need more rules. We do need better implementation. Regulators must complete the level playing field um, to, uh, to best enhance profitability and vitality. And the best way to do so is for banks to serve their customers and support the economy across the Eurozone and not just nationally. Thank you. Thanks very much, Joanna. Terrific. Um, well, a few things to get your teeth into there. Uh, 
Thank you very Mr. much. Uh, thank you very much to Bruegel for their invitation, and thank you as well to Bruegel to have chosen the title of this session, the future of uh, financial system, which means that there could be a future for banks, actually, <laughs> which uh, when I listen to what he said from time to time, I, I wonder if uh, people believe there is a future. I do believe there's a strong future for banks and specifically for Unicredit, uh, of <laughs> course, which um, you know has a, a lot of supporters in the room. Supporters of Unicredit, wave a little bit. Thank you very much, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Self-publicity is always important, as you can <laughs> see by that. Uh, I think, um, you know, before speaking about important issues uh, on uh, regulation and what we can do, I would like to take a step back and see what are banks for. We, from time to time, we focus too much on, you know, what could be the additional regulation, how can we limit risk, you know, what can we do in terms of resolution, but we kind of forget about what is a bank useful for and why do we need banks in Europe? And that, I think, should be the first question we should ask ourselves. And the first question should be, what can we do to help banks? Because banks are here to finance the economy, and without banks, we won't be able to finance growth in Europe. From time to time, I hear people saying, ah, banks are very bad, and we need to make sure we can replace banks by capital market. How many of my customers, who are Mittelstand clients in Germany, we own the third largest bank in Germany, is SMEs in Italy or in Austria, our bank in Austria is called Bank Austria, it is the largest bank there. How many of them use capital market? Very few, because our SMEs in Europe, who represent 80% of the job, are too small to access the capital market. So SMEs in Europe need banks to finance them. And so we need to make sure that banks can finance the economy. For banks to finance the economy, they need to have cheap access to capital. can be equity or can be debt. So we need to have a very transparent and well-structured financial market to attract capital from investors, be they European investors or be they US investors, which is absolutely key. So we need stronger regulation, a more homogeneous regulation, we need to have a stronger SSM, which is a godsend to a large extent, because it gives investors the understanding that the banking regulation is going to be more and more homogeneous. But we probably need more regulation rather than directive, which kind of blur a little bit the view of what should be the evolution of Europe. With more directive, we remain domestic, and we, don't, we are not Europeans. So I think first, we need banks in Europe we need to get rid with the idea that capital markets are going to substitute banks. True for the large corporate client, completely wrong for the SMEs. And we need to make sure the financial markets for supporting banks are going to be there and are going to be efficient. So the regulation is important. And this regulation needs to be homogeneous. That can be the capital side. That can be the recovery side, of course. Now, the question is, do we need domestic banks or do we need pan-European banks? And let me make a, a, a little bit of a, a, a comment up front. Each time I'm speaking about banking evolution, I see in Anglo-Saxon newspaper the next day, is going to merge with Bank X or Bank Y because he said we need more pan-European banks. At Unicredit, we are focused on our transformation 2019 plan, which is based on organic assumptions. So nothing I am going to say now 
mean that we are working on anything else than organic development. If I say that, I hope I'm not going to have you know, any comment tomorrow morning about kind of funky transaction we might be working on. So the point is, of course we need more pan-European banks. We need bigger banks in Europe. When you look at the combined market cap of the two largest listed banks in Germany, it is more or less equivalent to the market capitalization of Unicredit. Can the largest economy in Europe support its SMEs with banks which do not have a critical size and an access to foreign markets? The answer from the finance minister a week ago seems to be no. He said, we need stronger German banks which have a global reach to support our Middlestone companies. So if uh, Germany is saying they need bigger banks, they are probably right, as the Germans are always right. And if you look at the combined market cap of these two banks compared to JP Morgan, it's less than a tenth of the market cap of JP Morgan. So banks in Europe are too small. That's for sure. And why are they too small? To deal with your retail client, you can be domestic. Because retail clients want domestic banks. They usually don't need uh, to go uh, overseas. But to deal with the SMEs, you need, to bank, you need banks which are pan-European. It's very difficult today for an SME in Europe to be pan-European. Because if you're an entrepreneur in Italy or Germany, you want to develop in France or in other country, you need to redevelop a new company, completely new. Because the regulation, work regulation, tax, etc., are completely different. So if you have a bank which can support you in your international development, not even in Asia, just on a pan-European basis, if you can rely on a bank which is going to deliver you your financing, your short-term financing, your leasing, your working capital, you at least have one worry over, and then we can start working in Europe. So we need more pan-European banks in Europe, and they work. At Unicredit, we are in Italy, and you know, we are the largest bank by balance sheet. We are the third largest bank in Germany, we are the first bank in Austria, and we are present in 11 countries in the CEE side, which is the first market for export for SMEs. And I think it is important that Europe works to have more pan-European banks to do what? To support the SMEs to grow. And when you're bigger, you lower your cost of production. The real issue for banks today is to be effective. If you cannot get the critical size, you need to outsource. We sold at Unicredit our asset management business. Why? We needed capital when we did our restructuring, but that was not the underlying strategic issue. The underlying strategic issue is that to be efficient as an asset manager, it has been vindicated by MIFID, you need to have a very large critical size, probably over a trillion, because you want to lower your cost of production of uh, maybe few basis points to AUM. And so you can only do that by size. As a bank, can I grow my asset management to reach that? And is it a good use of my resources? No. So I outsource it. Outsource it by selling my asset management, getting exactly the same fees for my network and my business, but the product factories are managed by somebody else who gets the critical size. For some other product, you cannot quote unquote outsource it because you need to uh, keep the core business on the financing side, on the debt capital market side, on the hedging of risk. And so critical size allows to lower the cost of production. This is why we need bigger banks in Europe. If you're purely domestic, you're never going to be able to do that, and you'll be sub-efficient, not to say how to deal with the regulatory requirements, which are very expensive, and if you can uh, share that between you know, uh, uh, various uh, banks and bigger perimeter, it's even better.
So I do feel it is important for Europe to have more pan-European banks and that the regulation is step-by-step -step evolving. There is a very good evolution which is um, proposed in the next uh, 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 capital and regulatory side uh, which is being discussed by the Council, which is, for instance, the uh, you know, calculation of the GCP buffer, the global making important financial institution. If you raise a deposit today in France, in Marseille, to lend money in Paris, you don't have an increased capital burden. If you raise deposit in uh, uh, Germany today to lend uh, 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 money in Spain, you have an increased capital burden because of the intra-SSM, uh, intra-company, intra-bank intra exposure. Does it make sense? No. So if you put two banks together, two pan-European banks together, you have immediately with the current regulation, everything else being equal, an increased capital burden. The new regulation which is proposed to the parliament will cancel out all the intra-SSM uh, uh, exposure, which means that if you put two pan-European banks together, you will not have an increased capital buffer. That's a progress. We're working on the MREL side to make sure that the uh, intra-SSM MREL exposure can be cancelled out as well. So we need to make sure that the regulation works. There are some works being done on waivers. Can we, within the SSM, transfer freely liquidity and capital? If I go back to my economic studies and I was a very poor economic student, I was, my chief economist is in the room and he understands why. I mean, <laughs> I understood that a global and a single currency works if you have free flow of capital and liquidity. It is not the case today in Europe because we have uh, constraints in terms of large exposure, uh, for instance, in some countries where you cannot lend out more than 25% of your capital. Very wise decision in order to limit constraints and exposure when you lend money to a corporate client, for instance. Is it a, a wise decision when you have multi-banks in Europe and you cannot upstream liquidity between one bank and another? within the SSM, which is a single regulator? The answer is no, it is not wise. And if you don't have free flow of liquidity and capital, you cannot have a single currency. It does not work medium term. So we need to work on the waivers as well. So I think it is important that in order to make sure that we finance SMEs, which create jobs, that we break down all the barriers which uh, are prevent to create pan-European banks, and this can be done, without the completion of the banking union. Because I hear, yes, all that is fine, but we need to complete the banking union. I say, what does that mean? Oh, we need to have the common European deposit insurance scheme. Never going to happen in my lifetime. And I expect to live very long. <laughs> it is very difficult to look at that. So, you know, and it is possible to manage a pan-European bank without having the common uh, you know, deposit insurance scheme. We do it at Unicredit. As I said, we are present in Italy, Germany, and Austria. We don't need to have the common deposit scheme. So, you know, I hear that some of the countries resist for some of the pan-European evolution, saying we are not going to do anything until we complete the banking union. It's a fallacy. If we do that, we will never have a pan-European sector. We need to be Europeans. We need to push for more Europe. There is no way that we can grow and develop European economy if we remain domestic and if we look at Europe from our bottom-up domestic point of view. It will not work. 
And for that, we need to break the barriers and we need to have true pan-European banks that the future of Europe, and we have very few pan-European banks. One of them is Unicredit, and Unicredit will be, as we say, a pan-European winner. Thank you very so much. So that's terrific. Yes. I mean, we, we're clearly going to have a good discussion on that particular issue. I'm very tempted to pick you up on your dismissive approach to capital markets, um, but I suspect we could spend a whole session on that too. It does seem to me that one of the lessons of the financial crisis is that if you are very bank dominated and your banks get into terrible mess, then you really are, you know, you, 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 that, that is a very bad thing for SMEs. That was all, all over Europe, SMEs were very, they have no alternative. The Americans, you know, have got two engines on their plane and one of them can falter and the other one uh, uh, can keep going. So I think you've got a more resilient financial system oh, Rachel, as a whole I, I, have with capital markets. Have you met a European SME? Yeah, so let us... No, let no, us but I, I do know that I, I, meet, I meet SMEs every day. Yes. In my job, I meet one, two SMEs, you know, every day. Yeah. They are never going to accept the capital market crisis on the ground. They are too small. So the answer to crisis is not capital market. We are not the US. Our companies are too small. Okay. What we need to make sure is that we have strong banks, but not capital market. Capital markets are for the large companies. And beyond that, because I'm not going to finish for that, what we need to do <laughs> is that the capital market union needs to focus on raising equity for SMEs. We are super happy to lend as much money as we can to SMEs. But what is lacking in Europe is equity. I give you one statistic, which I think is very important. Look at venture capital investment last year in Europe in 2017. Yeah. Europe has invested, continental Europe, has invested a tenth of the US, a tenth of the US. Five billion in Germany, 2.5 billion in France, 1.5 billion in Spain, 126 million in Italy. What do we need to do? We need to make sure that long-term savings can be invested into the equity of SMEs in order to prop up SMEs, in order to prop up entrepreneurs to create jobs, because they create 80% of the jobs. So let's have the right focus. It's not financing, it's equity capital. The savings of Europe needs to go out of the bund, and they need to go into equity. Great. Now, I think I, the issue I thought that was coming out of listening to the two of you back to back, though, was this question of whether, the, whether Europe is safe for uh, a cross-border banking again. Is it safe to go back in the water? I mean, if you think of the financial crisis, the problem was, uh, you know, a lot of banks that had expanded way beyond their ma uh, um, national borders. And they, they, wasn't, they weren't, as, as uh, Joanne said at the beginning, there simply weren't the structures to manage the situation or even to oversee their activities at that stage. I mean, your argument, as I understand it, is you don't need to wait till every brick in the, ar in the architecture is in place in order to uh, uh, expand. The benefits are huge. But I think I wanted to just give it back to Joanne, because you gave a rather depressing list of things that weren't in place. Um, and I wondered if you felt the world was, Europe is now safe for a, an expansion of cross-border banking. And if not, what are the crucial gaps? Well, um, you raise many, many points at the same time, but uh, <laughs> um, I, I do think that Jean-Pierre has a point when he says we need um, uh, to, to move more towards a true, let's not say European, let's keep stick to the banking union for the time being. Okay. Um, uh, one of the problems we had during the crisis was that some banks were international, like Fortis, but supervision was national, not to say nationalist. 
Um, and um, uh, we need to move away from that. And I think we've come a long way. I mean, we have the institutions, we have the rules, um, but as Jean-Pierre indicated, uh, we still have uh, not a completely free flow of capital. We still have certain barriers to the free flow of liquidity, and we need to move further on that. Uh, and, and, and on MREL, I mean, we we, we way uh, uh, beyond that. We, there, we really may need to work very hard to make sure that we uh, that we look at a bank from a European perspective rather than from a national perspective. Um, having said that, if, if we do take that leap, um, uh, it is true that, um, uh, you know, 80% uh, of what we need is in place. Um, I, can, uh, I can understand that it's, that it's possible to bank without a European deposit guarantee system. I still think that um, uh, there, there, is a, there is a distortion, there is this, 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 this apprehension to make, take, take the full leap as long as we do not have uh, the European deposit um, uh, guarantee. I believe we can fix that by, uh, by you know, uh, uh, going for liquidity support in the meantime. I don't see why we need full insurance, full guarantees crisscross the board. Um, but once we get there, uh, yes, we can. Uh, we, have an, uh, we, have the, we have the regulation in place, we have the institutions in place, but it is a matter, as I said, of implementation and of willingness to implement uh, and to, to go there. Um, and indeed, I do think that there is a lot of potential. I also think that if we do, uh, if we do not succeed in creating truly pan-European banks, the banking union project um, is a failure. Uh, I think uh, in a monetary union, um, you need a, a true banking union as well. Um, but what we need to do is go for it. So you in agreement here? Well, Surely looks like not. yes. But ju just <laughs> to, to, to go back to your point is uh, yes. at Unicredit we operate with uh, local bank. I was going to say yeah, yeah. But you know, our bank in Germany is a German bank. That's when I, right. I go and see SMEs companies, Middelstand, they tell me we've been banking with Uppoferings Bank. They, you know, they call us Uppoferings Bank for 50 years, and we intend to bank with you for the next 100 years. They see us as a local bank. The same in Austria, we are called Bank Austria. You see? So basically, when there's a crisis, we don't pull out because we have local banks. If you have a bank, some British banks pulled out of Germany, pulled out of Italy, because they were working for branches. When the credit decision is made in London, of course you cannot rely on the banks which are local. When you bank as, uh, with local banks, with the pan-European reach and the product which are uh, developed centrally, then not only your client trusts you, but also you deliver added value because your products are super efficient. And so that's the answer to the point. If you try to go and bank for branches, you're not going to be successful. You need to be seen by your client as a local bank which has been supporting them for years and will keep supporting them. This is what we do at Unicredit. It works very well. Yes, it sounds like the HSBC model as well, that you have the, it's a federation of banks with a, with a joined up I would uh, say, uh, from a managerial point of view, I would call that more than a federation, actually, yeah. but that's a so different So where is, where's, the, where's, the, where, where's the, the balance between the local and the pan-European uh, to, to, to realise the benefits that you're both talking about? Well, the, the, the balance is 
local banks have uh, credit decisions which are made locally, have their bankers who are present locally, and their LM which is managed locally, and the central bank manages the overall risk and the product which are sold globally. And the relationship is, which is, with local, is local with the regulators and the supervisors. So you have a that is European now, is it? That is European with the SSM, yes. Yeah, I think the, the, the supervisor is more towards the federalist model, yeah. uh, as you mentioned. Um, but uh, with local local branches, uh, mm -hmm. but a, an overarching um, uh, uh, centralized uh, okay. policy. So I think we're in danger of agreeing. So I think my, my now might be a good time uh, uh, to open it up uh, to questions if people have, uh, have got some. Someone at the back there that I can't see. Will you stand up and say who you are? Yeah, thanks. Jesus Christ, here we go. Citizens again is Angelos Harlathis. Uh, uh, the, the, the banking sector, of course, uh, it's, uh, it's working in a, a lower steps according to the regulation of Basel, uh, which is proceeding to the pan European bank system. But uh, uh, the corruption issues uh, are difficult things, so they have to proceed faster. All. So, apart from this, uh, financial system is not only banking system. Uh, uh, so what does the banks uh, think about the, 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 the debt economy? We have 16 trillion debt. The Americans, they have 21 trillion debt. Uh, do you think, as a traditional banker, that this is a, a, a good thing for an economy, a European economy, to be based on the debt? And it's our advantage this moment to face the debt because we split the Americans as they want, not we. They want, and we can gain from that. Uh, so, what do you think about this? Do you believe also that there can exist a, a, an internal growth? Thank you very much. Thank you. Let's collect a couple of other questions before going back to uh, Jean-Pierre and Joanne. Over there. Louder the better, really. Okay. So yeah, that's better. Philip Steinberg from the German Econo Economics Ministry. Um, I would basically just uh, I would like to second what uh, Jean-Pierre Mustier has, has said. Um, because first of all, I mean, if we are talking about banking union and, and EDIS, I mean, we all know this discussion. I would just think it would be helpful if you would go even in such a discussion a little bit more into the detail because there's no point actually in just saying EDIS, I mean, there's so many, many concepts and people have such different concepts what it is, what it should be about, that I think that is actually the next step and uh, we should actually um, reach because, I mean, there are lots of propositions and now we should really actually say what we mean with it because otherwise, really, everybody has a different understanding and we won't, won't move, uh, move further a single cent centimeter. And then, um, then the point, I think, it's just, it's very important just to, to underline, underline it. Uh, the, the necessity from a real economic 
real economy perspective, the need for pan-European uh, banks. And therefore, we, we really sh should actually go for it. And I totally um, concur that we don't need to always talk about EDIS and, and, and the banking union things. When there, there are arguments for, us, for it, yes. But I mean, we do need cross-border liquidity, liquidity and consolidation possibilities. That is difficult, of course, because we have different the situations and the different countries are, are different, it, uh, different, different. But that is very, um, very important. And of course, we need a more uh, unified regulatory regime. We have reached, of course, we have made big. Um, advance, uh, advances in the last years, but still there's a lot to do. So I really, that should be really our emphasis, really to, to, to really start, why do we need banks? And, and we do need capital markets as well for equity, yes, absolutely, but we do, that should be our starting point. And then it's actually much more easy to communicate it as well in the political sphere and within the, the public in general. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, Stavros Zengos from University of Cyprus and Bruegel. From Cyprus, we know something about banking crisis, so I, yeah. I have two very quick questions. Uh, this idea of the pan-European or European banks. One is, uh, are you concerned about the, the sovereign bank doom loop and the zero weight on the sovereign uh, debt? So that's one issue. And the other one, uh, which is a great concern, Jean-Pierre answered it in one of his comments, but I think it's worth going a little bit deeper. You emphasize the, the importance of SMEs to have access to local banking, but then pan-European banks are not local. And I was very happy when I heard you saying you have in Austria and Germany and you consider yourselves local banks. It's important in SMEs to have the relationship banking, which brings us to the issues of political appointments that you mentioned earlier. So how do we make sure that the, the pan-European banks will really be close to the SMEs and not just out of the strategic thinking of a specific bank? And last one, I got a free microphone from a banker without being asked to open an account. Can I keep it? <laughs> okay, one more. And then Excuse we'll me. Uh, the panelists. I had okay. the microphone here. Can I ask my okay. question? Um, okay. All right, okay. Yeah. Yes, you, you obviously... Thank you very much. <laughs> That's a prerogative of uh, holding a microphone. Uh, my name well, is... He uh, had a microphone too, actually. Well, I had it before <laughs> him. I'm sorry. More than one uh, My name is Thomas van Kran. I'm uh, Managing Director of Triodos Bank uh, here in uh, Belgium. And I would like to pick on a comment uh, you made at the start. You said that um, the banking union was less integrated. My question is, is it less entangled and I refer to uh, the comment of uh, Mrs. Kellerman, who said that one of the long-term objectives or, um, of the banking union or the banking system uh, in Europe should, should be uh, sustainability. And one of the components of sustainability, which we haven't really talked about sustainability as far as I'm concerned uh, tonight, and one of the components of it is, do we have a resilient uh, banking system? Um, and I'm really curious, so uh, it goes to, to my question. Uh, we have talked a lot about pan-European banks, and I'm really curious about how uh, the speakers uh, see the role of medium and small-sized banks in a uh, resilient financial system. Thank you for that. Well, um, you, were, you were desperate to say something, and then no, after No, I can wait I'm for the next round. That's fine, and then we'll, we'll have these two options. Say, say what you want. Um, no, my uh, question was to Jean-Pierre and maybe to, to challenge him on uh, two things he said because uh, you, uh, sorry, Nicolas Veron at Bruegel, uh, you uh, referred to the 
impediment uh, of uh, ring fencing of capital and liquidity, which is the current practice of uh, both the SSM and national supervisors under various mandates. And at the same time, you said uh, we don't want to operate through branches. Now, there would seem to be uh, uh, an easy solution to, uh, to the predicament, which is to transform your operations in various European countries into branches, not change the risk management, not change the proximity element, as you uh, explained, but just have them technically or legally change from subsidiary to branches, and then you can circulate capital and liquidity the way you want under the current legislation. So why not do that? Do you want to... Pick up some of those questions. You probably don't have yeah. to leave to well, do, do, I mean, uh, if I go in reverse orders, is uh, we want to operate close to SMEs and to retail clients. And if we operate for a branch, they will not see us as domestic bank. And the key to have a competitive advantage in a country is to be seen as a domestic bank, which is not going to run away at the first crisis. And so, you know, to, to be seen and to, in reality, to be a German bank in Germany, an Austrian bank in Austria, an Italian bank in Italy, is actually fundamental in order to develop the business. This is why it is important to remain as uh, subsidiaries and not branches. Um, and then we work around that, and at, you know, we, we work around the, the liquidity issue, and it's possible to work around that. You know, then uh, going back to the you know, mid-sized banks, I mean, you know, we welcome as many banks as possible in any country. Because uh, you know, Europe needs more bank financing. As I said, capital market is not going to replace it. And you, know, we, you have uh, local clients, which are maybe you know, uh, uh, retail or small domestic SMEs, which can be dealt with by uh, mid-sized banks. So you know, the, there is no, uh, for us, we are very happy to have as many banks as possible which uh, make the success of the economy and finance the economy. I think it would be a mistake for a country just to be too concentrated in, in one or two large banks, and you need to cover all the territories. I'm looking at countries where we are present. Then uh, on, um, you know, the, I mean, that answered the question on SMEs. You know, we, <coughs> we develop uh, our, our banks in each of the countries, so we are close to the SMEs. I spend my time meeting entrepreneurs and SMEs at the core of our business. You know, the other one is retail, so you know, we are there. If you have a local bank and not a branch, you develop your business with the SMEs. If you have a branch, not necessarily. So the answer is subsidiaries and, and not branch. Then on a sovereign doom loop, I mean, you know, the, I think banks are super important to actually be a shock absorber uh, for the economy when the sovereign goes uh, through, a, through a shock. Because uh, who is going to buy the domestic debt if uh, the sovereign goes through a shock and banks don't do that? Banks have been doing that in many countries and are super efficient for that. If you say banks cannot buy their domestic uh, uh, sovereign, I mean, then you start having a, a real problem to refinance the, the country. What is the domestic sovereign of Unicredit? We have 150 billion of uh, sovereign debt. 50 billion is Italy, the balance 100 billion is German and Austrian. Should we limit our German bond exposure? If you speak to me, say, no, no, don't limit it. I say, but why? Because we probably have more bond than BTPs. So, you know, so I think it's a point of view, and I think a, a domestic bank needs to invest into its domestic sovereign. It's the management of liquidity. You know, your cost of funding is very close to your domestic sovereign. If you invest in something which is different, you're completely inefficient and it does not work. Then on EDIS, we have a way around EDIS, which is that, you know, for us, not a problem. And we, you know, we finance our clients, we take deposits.
deposit, the European Deposit Insurance Scheme, from our operating point of view, will not change anything. It will change things from the mentality of the regulator, but not from an operating point of view. And debt financing, you know, I mentioned that uh, uh, debt financing, SMEs need banks because they don't access capital market, but what they need more is equity. So in fact, the capital market union should finance more, you know, should focus more on equity rather than debt. Do you want to pick up some of those questions? Yes, let me uh, respond to a couple of points. Um, on um, uh, the, uh, I would like to take together the, the risks though in the system and the, um, the sovereign bank doom loop. Um, uh, when we say, are we there yet? This is certainly an area where we are in a less than ideal situation. I think it's fair to say that. Uh, and I also think that, uh, yes, uh, banks do have a role in, uh, in buying the debt of their sovereign. That's fine, but let's look at the price tag and the risk tag then uh, uh, next to that. We do that for anything that is on banks' balance sheets. So um, we have to start addressing this topic. I know it's a difficult topic, it's a sensitive topic, but it's not a, sop a topic that we can simply ignore because we don't like it. It's there, we need to address it. Um, on EDIS, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually sorry if this uh, is, is, is uh, threatening to, um, uh, to dominate the discussion again, because I do agree with you that uh, with EDIS, the devil is in the detail, and there are many things that um, um, uh, can and, and, and are being said about that. Um, maybe one remark about EDIS uh, that we sometimes forget, um, deposit guarantees um, uh, insurance um, may, uh, is always talked about in the context of the banking union. The banking union is mainly concerned with the large banks, but deposit insurance is mainly important for small banks. Mm -hmm. uh, and that brings me to small banks. Um, I, I do believe there is a, an important role for small banks and an important role for local banks. I live in a country that is, has a very, very concentrated banking market, and that is not always a good thing. Having said that, when I talk about sustainability, I refuse to believe that only small banks can be sustainable banks. My plea is for all banks, uh, and also the big banks, um, to, um, uh, to integrate sustainability in their thinking, uh, and um, uh, not just leave it to a, a niche of smaller banks. I think that is a, is a wrong approach. Um, and finally, well, I think Jean-Pierre has talked about um, the branchification and uh, the, the pros and cons there, so I, I, will, uh, I will leave it there. Thank you. Okay. We have to uh, wrap this up in a, in a few minutes, but there is time just for a couple more questions if people are burning to ask them. Somebody there in the middle there. Um, yeah, Uida Dush with OCP Policy Center and Google. Um, I just wanted some quantification. Uh, you emphasize uh, a lot the uh, small, medium-sized enterprises. Uh, but as I understand, the portfolio of your bank, indeed of banks in general in Europe, has a heavy orientation towards government debt, that's one, and then large companies, and then small and medium-sized enterprises. And can you give us a sense of uh, either your bank or generally 
how this uh, asset base is distributed between these three major poles. Okay, and one, one more in the middle there, and then I think that's probably all we've got time for. Thank you. George Salas, uh, former MP. Uh, still, I don't get what you mean, you know, by pan-European bank, because when once upon a time we made the single uh, banking license, we meant, you know, pan-European bank would be the one, you know, that could provide services across border through branching especially and services. So if I need to go by opening in every member state or, you know, buying whatever, you know, a subsidiary, that is not exactly, you know, the pan-European bank, at least we had in mind, and at least what it should become after, uh, you know, the, the, the SSM. But still, here's my question, since you're dealing with retail banking. Is there any interest in liberalizing the mortgage banking market, something yes. we tried a long time, oh or God. there's no point, because probably it should be a several trillion still banking market that we, you know, would be open for, uh, for profits. Is there any point of going on in Europe for that? Because we okay, yes, jump in. Yeah, just uh, uh, on uh, uh, your point, I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, the uh, pan-European, means that we can service our SME client mostly, the retail clients are domestic. Our SME clients, when they have a subsidiary in one country, open up accounts in the country. So the fact that you, know, you have only accounts in Italy, if you operate in Germany or Austria, is not the real life of SMEs. They have domestic subsidiaries or, you know, and they open up their bank account. So having one single bank account can work, but that's not the way these people work, basically. So pan-European means a bank which is present in many countries to support the SMEs and to finance their subsidiaries in the country. The financing is very simple. If you work and meet with a, a SME, I don't know how many people here met an SME and, and work with them and structure the financing. Because we're speaking about things which are a bit theoretical until you meet and work with an SME. They need working capital and leasing mostly, okay, and payment. That's it. Okay, and so you have to, you know, to, to provide that. And that is important. And then they need to have the support because their subsidiary in one country might not be able to prove to, you know, a local bank that they are credit worthy because they don't know what's in the head office. And so this is why it is important when we have a bank that, uh, you know, the understanding of the credit of a small SME, you know, is uh, properly done and you get the proper information. And that's what the pan-European banks provide because you bank not only the head office but also the subsidiary. That's real life. That's how it works, basically. And I think from time to time we should send some regulators on the field to visit branch and to spend a few days in the bank to see how it works. But that's the point. And, uh, you know, that, that I think uh, will be important. So on the, you know, split of loans, we'll lend more or less 450 billion uh, to uh, European uh, uh, clients. And, uh, you know, a good half of that is uh, to corporate. And to the corporate, the vast majority is to SMEs because the large corporate refinance for the capital market. So, you know, I mean, SMEs uh, need financing. A lot of it is not long-term financing. Because as I said, you know, it's more working capital, it's a leasing, a little bit of uh, long-term financing based on the country, more in Germany, less in Italy, for instance, for historical reasons. But, you know, I mean, we, we do lend, we are the second largest lender to a, a client in Europe. The first one is a French bank, which has a present in this country. The second one uh, in, in Europe is Unicredit. And so I think we are kind of representative to what can be a pan-European bank. So, um Listening, listening to the debate earlier, I must say my 
reaction was the same as the gentleman there, having been a veteran of the early discussions about single market. I thought, what a retreat from the vision of what uh, it would look like with people branching all over Europe. But maybe, actually, the version of pan-European banking that Jean-Pierre has set out is the, actually the version that you know, the world is it, it, it's, it's safe to do. I mean, is that old vision of, of uh, pe people branching all over Europe and all the rest of it something that we should forget about for the time being? Uh, I don't think so. I think you see it happening. There are other uh, large banks um, that have a different model. Uh, and uh, um, I think the good thing is, uh, we, uh, you know, there's no model imposed. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, uh, I think it, it adds to, you know, the diversity of our banking landscape that we have these different models. But, uh, well, we, we, uh, for instance, um, Nordea is, uh, is branchifying, if you like. Uh, uh, I think uh, ING is, uh, is, is also, uh, you know, active in other countries with retail uh, uh, clients uh, without being a local bank in each and every country where it's active. So there's different models, uh, which to my mind is a good thing. Um, and uh, well, what we've not touched upon is, of course, um, you know, to what extent uh, technology will will influence those models, uh, will enhance them or threaten them, or um, we've um, well, we we don't have time for that. But I think that's that that is a clear issue on the agenda for the future. And may reduce costs enough to overcome the diseconomies of operating entirely through subsidiaries. Okay, look, I'm afraid that's where we're going to have to leave it because I know that you've got uh, a pressing engagement um, and, and can't stay. But thank you both very much. That was a really interesting discussion. <laughs>